Idlewild Arts respectfully acknowledges the Kawishba Kawiakna, also known as Kawia Band of Indians, and all nine sovereign bands of Kawia people who have stewarded this land throughout the generations and continue to steward this land for all future generations. Idlewild Arts Foundation is proud to present One World, One Idlewild, the series. In conversation with Pamela Jordan, the series brings together thought leaders, creatives, influencers, and change makers, highlighting the work of citizen artists whose careers and lives have been shaped by the transformative power of art. Have the courage to lead. The best thing that ever happened to me was the Northridge earthquake. Artists throughout the world, we are the speakers of truth. We are the most authentic expression of the day of the times. Be determined to get the most you can from every opportunity. And where you don't see opportunities, ask for them. Great leaders recognize that the work requires urgent patience. You can learn about classroom management. You can learn about the new curriculum. You can learn about the new way to teach whatever it is. But at the end of the day, if those students feel that love, they're more likely to listen, they're more likely to trust, they're more likely to be vulnerable. And in that space, that's where you can change some kid's life. From Idlewild Arts Foundation in Idlewild, California, I'm Pamela Jordan with One World, One Idlewild, the series. On March 23rd, 2022, I spoke with Dr. Lauren Buckman during his final year as president of Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. When Buckman was appointed president in 2009, he quickly engaged his community to define what a great art and design college should be in the early 21st century. His talent for gaining consensus among diverse constituencies proved key to Art Center's mission-driven growth. During Buckman's presidency, the college increased the undergraduate and graduate degree programs and realized record enrollments. His passion and deep commitment to excellence in education has generated an unprecedented response from alumni and foundations. A trained theater director and scholar, Buckman is the author of Still in Movement, Shakespeare on Screen. His book, Make to Know, From Spaces of Uncertainty to Creative Discovery, was published in August 2021. Lauren, thank you so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure to be here, Pamela. Thank you. I am uh, super excited about our One World, One Idle Wild podcast listeners learning about the insights you share in your new book, Make to Know. Make to Know from Spaces of Uncertainty to create Creative Discovery. Now, I usually start by asking the guests to share their earliest memory, you know, when art really changed your life. But you actually write in the book about your own personal make-to-know journey, which I found fascinating. Can you share that with our listeners? Sure. Uh, You know, the discovery of um, the kind of, really the kind of a learner I am, um, as a kind of make-to-know learner, um, happened in college through a, a a theater class that I took. Um, and I had always, as a, as a child, as I relate in the book, I had always felt like I was not really um, the creative type because creatives are, are geniuses. Um, or as I trace, you know, we have these 
we have a dominant narrative of what we think creative people are. They're, they're either geniuses, rarefied beyond the rank and file of humanity somehow, or they're mad. And we are fascinated with madness and creativity. Um, uh, or they're somehow divinely inspired as Homer's muse would be and channeling the, 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 as the bard would be, excuse me, as channeling the muse and, and the God selecting a few to be the, the transporter of the great creative wisdom. Um, well, I certainly wasn't that. I wasn't certainly, I certainly wasn't hearing that voice. I might've been a little mad and just, if you ask my mother and I was, certainly didn't consider myself a genius. And therefore I really kind of didn't associate, I, I didn't really see myself as creative and anything I did was just kind of a curious indulgence. Um, but it was when I got to college and I was in a theater class um, and, the, and the first thing I did was I auditioned for a, 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 I remember auditioning for a play and I had done a little bit of acting here and there at school and, and the like and, and never really took it very seriously, but this was a serious part. And, um, and I, I realized that I was really a very bad actor, but I didn't know the reason at the time. And I say that just because I think later that becomes significant. But fortunately, I had a really wonderful theater teacher who also taught a directing class. And um, his whole philosophy in that was, uh, if you want to learn how to direct, you, 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 you know, he just tossed people in the deep end. And he said, all right, so if you want to learn how to direct, then direct and find yourself a short piece to direct. And I got a small Chekhov romp called The Boer, a little comedy. And uh, I knew enough to uh, cast the play and I knew enough to schedule the first rehearsal, but beyond that, I hadn't a clue what I was doing. And I, uh, you know, read books and I talked to friends and I, and nothing really made sense to me. It's almost like when you try to learn a game before you play it. And so I got to the first rehearsal and I remember it so vividly now um, that as soon as I was in that situation, and, you know, it's almost like uh, the image I always have is necessity descends. You know, that's the, uh, the it's, a, it's actually an image I borrowed from Aeschylus, like necessity descends. And there I am in the making process. And we started reading and we started batting ideas around and we started moving people around in space. And all of a sudden I was so fully engaged and I was in a making process and discovered that I really began to learn what it was I wanted to do with the play, what my ideas were, what my thinking was, what conceptually I wanted to do. It was all a very fascinating experience for me to kind of learn it and discover it through the making itself. And I go back to the acting piece only because I think make to know really is something that sets itself against a very common assumption about artists and creative people manifesting some predetermined vision that you somehow see it like Michelangelo sees the angel in the stone and carves away until he sets it free that our work as be as creative people is about that but for me it was very different for me it really was about going into a place of uncertainty and through the making in this case it was the making that came in theater for for um, in my writing, it's come through the process of writing, through my teaching, through teaching, etc., and true confession, through my sense of what it is to lead an institution. There's a lot of make to know that's involved in that. So make to know has become a big part of my life in so many ways. And the more I talked about this concept and realized it, um, uh, 
first off, just getting to Art Center and seeing that art, the way we teach is we throw students in the deep end. Mm -hmm. And also learning, quite frankly, that our students, and maybe yours as well, feel paralyzed if they don't feel like they figured it all out from the beginning. And so I, um, uh, and, and, and faculty confirm that. And so really, it's, that's so not the point of their creative, their creative abilities. And if we can, if, if, uh, and the curriculum at Art Center is set up so that if they start to do it, if they start to apply it, start the making process, then the questions and the ideas and the concepts are born of that making. And it actually is a very applied way of learning and not something that you figure out intellectually or you make as a perfect vision and then manifest it. Now, some people do, some people do. But the, just to finish this one section of the book, then I began to explore it and talk to a lot of artists and designers about this idea that you're actually the discovery, the revelation comes in the making, not in some preordained vision. And everybody, I would say 99% said, well, absolutely, that's how I work. But I actually never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. So then I thought, oh, well, I'm just kind of, you know, telling everybody the sky is blue here. But the more I studied that narrative that I talked about and that dominant narrative, especially in Western culture, I realized that, no, we've got, we've, we, we have a very skewed notion of what the creative process is all about. And it's time we celebrated the making as a revelatory process. I like the way you bring that out through creative distortions, talking about genius, madness, or divinity. It's, it, it's definitely, when I think about this age group, students coming to uh, a high school for the arts, um, and especially a boarding school for the arts, they're really uh, committing to it. And very often, they feel that they've gotten as much from their hometown or the country they live in or whatever it is, they've gotten as much as they can and they want to be in a, in a, in a different environment where they can really immerse themselves in, in their arts training. So this brings me to the idea um, of, of the quote-unquote child prodigy. And I'm wondering your thoughts on that as we think about, you know, genius <laughs> and and you know child prodigy whether the parent is bringing in this 13 or 14 year old because they're the best you know the community theater has ever seen and and the pressure on the student right who who has had that thrust upon them that they're they're so innately talented and you know if you could just it, it it's kind of in what you inside of what you were just talking about but if you could spend a moment with that notion of the child prodigy as you see it with the genius yeah, it's such a, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, certainly when I was raising my kids, and that was in the 90s, there was a huge emphasis on, you know, the gifted child, which I believe is not nearly so much in discourse anymore, because of the various, th the very, very things that you are stressing about the kind of pressure, or the kind of subtext that goes with the prodigy or the gifted child, the, the, the pressure, the, the somehow separation from regular humanity that happens there. And I think, I think um, that can be a, let me just say a problematic way to orient a child or raise them and cause some, not, not be the most supportive thing that we can do, even though it comes from a kind of a amazement and genuine belief in them. Having said that, what I discovered in my research and in the work that I did for the book um, is that 
there are indeed prodigies. And there are indeed geniuses among them. I am not interested in, in uh, uh, nor, nor, nor in any way claiming there aren't those geniuses. What I am saying is that our preoccupation with genius, and you can study that going all the way back to the ancients and all through in contemporary culture filled with a preoccupation with genius and maybe the child prodigy as well. Like I just the other day saw some three-year-old playing the violin on YouTube and there were 7.5 million hits on that one video. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, 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 are, we are enraptured by that, right? So I, I, think, I think the point I'm making is that it skews our sense of what the creative process is. It assumes that creativity is only for an elite few. And but and as such, it denies something fundamental about who we are as human beings. And that is, we are makers all. We may not have the talent of that prodigy that comes to Iowa. And talent is a big thing, and I can talk about how that fits in in a minute. But we are makers all. We have creative lives. And make to know is a, and we, and as we make, we know. And as we make our lives, we know our lives. And the whole notion of make to know is not simply about being a painter or being a theater artist or being a musician or being a sculptor. It is fundamentally, I think, about how we live, how we educate our children, how we lead institutions and so forth. I appreciate uh, your perspective on that. And I'm sure we have many parents that listen to this podcast and I'm sure they was, will as well. It is a pressure. And, and I think what happens, particularly when you're able to go to a school like Idlewild Arts or Art Center, um, you really also have the opportunity to explore beyond your discipline, beyond, you know, the thing that perhaps the, the, the actual discipline that brought you to the door. But if you're, um, if you're really boxed in because you're this gifted child in this one area, it's a pressure to continue to go in that no matter what you discover along the journey. And so I, I really like the way you kind of work with the, dispelling those notions about, you know, it's for the, the, the select few. I, I want to move now. I, I've heard you say, and I realize that the book is organized around uh, four ways of the making process. Um, it, they are entering uncertainty, engaging materials, solving problems, and improvisation. And as I look at this, I think about entering uncertainty as probably the most daunting of them all. If you can, you know, as you said, schedule the rehearsal and pick the play, <laughs> then you get in there. But talk a little bit about that entering uncertainty aspect. Lovely. You know, I think um, I would begin by, by a very quick corrective, because this is the way to understand entering uncertainty, a very quick corrective about make to know that before you really think about what its implications are, um, some people assume, oh, so you, you're kind of saying you, you build a plane as you fly, or you're just gonna, you, know, you just make it up as you go along. Right. And nothing is further from the truth. That's not at all what I'm talking about. That's not make to know. In fact, our experience and our education, our ethics, our sense of social priority, our commitments, our, our beliefs, our talent, and this is where talent comes in, are all essential elements in this. But the distinction I make is as follows. That's the scaffolding we stand on to reach into uncertainty. Mm. And as we develop that, and as we build it, 
And as we grow, that scaffolding becomes higher, it becomes stronger, becomes, and allows us to reach into places that we would have never been able to find before, but now we are allowed to do it. But entering uncertainty, we must, but it's not just a, a you know, jump into the darkness. It, it is um, something that is um, supported and shaped and has conditions around it. And what I like to say at Art Center, and I know it's gonna be true for your school too, is part of what we're trying to do is um, educate students so that they have the courage to enter that place of uncertainty. Mm. Because as you point out, uncertainty is a deeply destabilizing, stressful place to be. We're in it culturally now. We're in it in our world as we try to deal with this pandemic. But I think what artists and designers teach us is that it's also a deeply creative space. And in fact, without a willingness to enter uncertainty, not to have it all figured out from the beginning, to kind of defy what that vision tendency is and instead to say, I have an idea, I have a question, I have a notion, I have a, phys some people, some artists talk about it as a stomach ache. It gets me into, it propels me into, but I have my skill, I have my experience, I have my understanding, but there I go, let me go in to explore. And what that exploration brings is a kind of life and spontaneity that brings a, a, a joy and a spark to the work that could never be only, or very, very rarely, I don't think it's important to say never, if it's just a kind of, more mechanical manifestation of a vision that's already existing. And that vision, again, getting back into, oh, well, geniuses have visions. One of the stories that really stands out to me, I think, is Tom Netchel. Am I saying his, his name correctly? Tom Nechtel, yeah. Nechtel. He, um, in talking about the that it's being reluctant or frightened about or being embarrassed, right, about, uh, you know, taking on something, breaking to a new level. He said, um, a quote from the book, I walk into the middle of something that I would have never walked into otherwise, and there it is. That's what I was looking for. And how uh, embarrassment or, or a number of other things can keep you from taking the, I guess, the risk you know, to, to, to go in and explore. Or, or another, another uh, section I remember reading is about, I write the character and they tell me how the story ends. Right, and how many novelists have said that kind of thing? I mean, this is really what hooked me into this kind of, this idea and this work. I love it when novelists say, you know, I, I kind of created the shell of my characters and then as you know, they told me what to say. Um, the, the novelist Umberto Eco in a postscript to the name of the rose, one of his famous novels, um, says, I didn't know Jorge was the murderer until I put him in the library. <laughs> right. So it's it, the point is, it's in the making, in the writing that he actually discovers an element of his plot. Right. Right? It's fascinating right. and kind of hilarious, too. Or the artist Alexander Calder says, I think in wire. In the making and in the engaging with the wire, that's, if you now picture his work, you can begin to see that's the thinking process happens through the making. It's not something predetermined or envisioned from the beginning um, and so forth. So there's, and there's all these different examples and the artist Anne Hamilton, who we should get to come to Idlewild at some point is so brilliant, but she actually says, 
you, you need to create a discipline to cultivate the not knowing. Mm. You've got to hold on to not knowing for as long as you can, because the more you keep that space open, the deeper you can go, the more, the farther you can go in your discovery, the more you can find things that you would have never, could have never possibly imagined. And I love that. I love that. It, has a, it has a spiritual element to it too, in terms of what it means to d discipline ourselves um, and to keep ourselves open to uh, the sensibility of not knowing and then what can come of that. I, I, I'm thinking, I'm looking here at one of the quotes that I, I wrote down. There's just so much. I cannot recommend this book enough. There's so much here. It was Chuck Close who said, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that is a beauty, isn't it? If you're just joining me, you're listening to my conversation with Dr. Lauren Buckman, President Emeritus of Art Center College of Design. We'll be right back. Idlewild Arts Academy is an independent boarding arts high school whose mission is to change lives through the transformative power of art. Located just two hours inland from Los Angeles and San Diego and one hour from Palm Springs, the school sits on 205 acres of forested land in the San Jacinto Mountains. Academy students receive a challenging college preparatory academic curriculum while engaging in pre-professional training in their chosen arts discipline. The school is also home to its world-renowned summer program that serves children starting at age 5 through adults age 95. Idlewild Arts believes that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity, no matter the ultimate expression, hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. To learn more, visit idlewildarts.org. Use code ONEWORLD2023 to receive a $50 discount to the 2023 Kids and Teens Summer Program. Quantities are limited and restrictions may apply. If you just joined me, this is a broadcast of my conversation with Dr. Lauren Buckman, who is now President Emeritus of Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. So now I want to move into engaging materials. Um, I, this concept was really interesting to me because I guess prior to it, when I just saw the title of it, I thought, well, you obviously mean, you know, like visual arts, you know, making and here's the canvas or, you know, that that's, but, but talk, talk to us, share with us about uh, what you mean by engaging materials that, that, you know, they take you through the making process. Well, the, the clearest way to understand it is exactly what you were, you, you thought of initially. Um, there's that wonderful story of, of the, the designer who tells the story about her first figure, figure painting class and uh, what the, the professor of the class taught her um, about seeing the engage, seeing engaging materials as a kind of conversation, a, a, a making that is conversation, that when that charcoal hits the paper, the paper is responding and says, okay, you gave me that, now I'll give you the, this. And then you, the artist and the maker are a participant in an interlocutor in that dialogue, in that conversation. And we begin to understand the movement of it and 
as conversations are, the kind of spontaneity in it and the making in it that happens as it moves forward. So on a kind of fundamental level, that engagement with material of, of the charcoal and the paper, of the paint with the canvas, of the uh, of, of the hands on the clay, whatever, that, the, that kind of engaging material is a very important concept of it. But what you're also discovering is when you get into um, uh, installation work or theater work about engaging with space and what it means to understand space as a material or Edgar Arsenault's work, which is a kind of engagement with time and time becomes a part of the material that he's engaging with as he goes further. And then it begins, begins to expand and all sorts of interesting things happen in music and what goes on in terms of the material that is engaged with when music is, is created, et cetera. So it's engaging with materials, you know, writ large. It's not simply the, the idea of the, of the visual arts and extends into all kinds of really interesting ways including writing, which as one of the novelists said to me, I'm moving words on a page all day long. That's what, you know, I'm, do I'm doing that. And, and there is a, an engagement with the words, with the language, and you can extend the metaphor as you know, yeah, another, as you wish. Uh, yeah. Another quote that, that really stood, I know I'm not gonna say her name right, Isabel, Isabel Allende. Allende, okay. Um, I loved it. She said, show up, show up, show up. And after a while, the muse shows up too. Yeah, right. And what you begin to get there is it's not, you're not divinely inspired. You don't have some sort of mad voice working with you. You're not just realizing and articulating your genius. It's a grind. And Chuck Close is like that too, right? It's, there's a grind, there's work, there's making to do. And in the making, eventually, something shows, shows begins up. to manifest itself and reveal. And that's exactly what make to know is. So I want to ask about skill. So earlier you talked about scaffolding, right? right. And I wonder, I, I wonder how skill, technical ability, technique plays, what role, do it, you know, can it, be against the process because you have a, a formula that you're trying to stick to because your technique has taught you that or if, if you could talk about where skill fits in a little bit. Also a fantastic question. For me, um, I think, uh, you know, I think a preoccupation with skill or technique can get, get you bogged down in a way and, uh, you know, potentially keep you away from that kind of exploration. But overwhelmingly what arts and designers tell me, and certainly what I've seen at 13 years at Art Center College of Design, is that far from bogging you down, the greater the skill, the greater the creative freedom. Mm -hmm. And that again goes back to the scaffolding image too, right? That the more, as solid and as well-built as it is, the more you have the courage and the inclination and the willingness to go to those places of uncertainty to grow and to learn and to discover and to feel the spark of all of what that brings and so you you know i talk as you know about um somebody like keith jarrett right and what that concert at cone was all about and i, I you know i mean at in terms of uh skillfulness there there's you know he's he's keith jarrett's a master right absolutely knows his knows the music and his instrument cold, mm -hmm. right? 
But what, so what he was able to produce, what he is able to produce in his music and his improvisations generally, and particularly the story of that concert with all of the weird things that happened around it and the botched piano and the whole thing, right? <laughs> what he was able to produce was, was incredible. One of the greatest albums ever made, great, probably the greatest live uh, jazz album that was ever made, right? And, but it was rooted in an amazing amount of ability and skill and experience and practice that gave forth, that allowed for that freedom to come forward. So uh, I think that's that's where skill is in all of this. And it, 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 it allows us to be the best makers we can be. And if making is about revealing, if making is about discovery, then the relationship gets clearer. You know, let's continue to build on that. You, you, uh, you said the word, you touched on improvisation. And, you know, I think that's a, that's, often a, a misunderstood um, approach is that it's willy-nilly. They're just doing, you know, whatever they want. Um, but you you speak of uh, improvisation as a as an important part of the maker, uh, maker process. So can you speak to that? So what I love about improvisation is that really when you think about it, it's it's um, it crystallizes what make to know is in the sense that what you're the thing made and the process of making it are one and the same. And when that's in alignment, make to know is, is can be really clearly understood. Um, improvisation um, is a, is a it, first of all, is an, a, really, a great illustration of what is relevant to all sorts of different fields, not just, you know, theater or music, but to st stick with theater and music. The principles that I really try to explore are these. One is improvisation doesn't happen just by the seat of your pants. Improvisation exists and comes through a frame. Frames operate in all kinds of ways. Some are very narrow, some are much wider, but frames are always operative. There's no kind of, and I try to, um, uh, I discuss some projects where they call it free improvisation, where they're, they're claiming there is no, no frame or structure but the deeper you dive into that, you realize that there is still a frame that's operating, mm -hmm. even though it's uh, you know it's a language, it's a it's a it's an interaction with an audience, it's an engagement with an instrument, whatever it is. But those frames are always operating, or a narrower kind of frame. Miles Davis does "Summertime" and does a riff off of that. That the Gershwin's tune is a frame for Miles Davis to do the work that he does and to mm -hmm. the improvisation that he does and the exploration he does. Or in theater improvisation, you have a situation or you have a context, you have something that allows for that to happen. So extend that notion of frames and you begin to discover that, um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful way to um, kind of build the structures in which we make give us a kind of grounding, but not so tight that the breeze doesn't blow through it, but leaves it open for that discovery process to happen. And there was not one field of art and design that I explored where improvisation wasn't talked about and is an important part of what they do. That kind of, you know, variously defined, but the fundamentals always the same. The specifics variously defined, but the fundamentals always the same. You, you you said in the beginning, you know, that, that, that the maker process, the making process is, you know, it's it's not just for artists, it's for life. It's a way of, of, of approaching and living and being um, a human being. Um, and I, I think 
all the time. I think it's because of the age group that I've been working with in my career. But an, an education in the arts should really broaden one's um, choices, not narrow them, right? It doesn't mean you're coming out of our schools and, you, and you're going to make your a career as an artist. And that's why I love the way you're really breaking down this process to be able to use it. So I want to shift maybe over to leadership or the idea of, of, of any career, right? Not just being in the arts. Because one, one thing you talk about that really resonates that I think we need in the world right now is problem solving, solving problems. And so how in this, talk about in this making process, solving problems comes into. Well, and, and as you know, designers are, are so good at teaching us about that, about what a making process is, as a way of, of solving problems. And what's interesting is that it employs so much of what we've talked about. I mean, by definition, the problem exists and the solution needs to be found and therefore there is uncertainty associated with it. Mm -hmm. So how does one go in? How does one iterate? And what designers show and what they teach us is um, what sketching can do, what model building can do, what conversation can do. Conversation became such an interesting part of what the design process was all about and something that I don't hear a lot about in the halls of art center among all these brilliant designers, but conversations of people um, understanding a conversation with a client, a conversation with a marketplace, a conversation with previous work, a conversation with a community of designers that precedes them. Um, Frank Geary talks about his buildings in conversation with buildings that surround it and how important it is that there is a cultural kind of of, of, of dialogue that's going on with his build, the architecture that he creates in the city in which he creates it or the context in which he creates it. Um, sometimes standing out, sometimes blending in, but a conversation nonetheless. And he, he talks about it in those terms. And, you know, it was interesting. I think I make a point at some point in the book that these designer colleagues, um, architects and designers are um, as much theater directors as, 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 as I am in the sense that there is you know, they are creating a kind of, of conversation, a dialogue that exists in a context that is really trying to explore some kind of dynamic, live and, 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 and forceful. Um, and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And it's through that conversation, I think, that, that partly through that conversation that these problems begin to be solved. So you, uh, you know, extrapolate that to something like leadership, you were asking about this. And, you know, that story that I tell, and it comes from the world of design, it comes from solving a problem. The story I tell about this, this uh, northern, uh, this town in Northern Holland um, in, uh, and the, the solution of the problem of a very dangerous traffic intersection. And this is, this is a story that I think has, um, uh, great implications and, and, and is a wonderful metaphor for what I, what, how, how we can extend this idea as you're asking. So the story goes that there was this, um, uh, there was uh, an incredibly dangerous intersection that, that was, um, you know, where cars were crashing into each other, where pedestrians were being um, knocked over, where bicyclists were being injured. It was, it was a, it was terrible. And the, and the, response typically from the traffic engineers was to put more signs up, slow down here, don't go there, really telling people what to do, right? 
And it seemed that the more they did that, the more there were problems um, and that the, the safety was not, um, the problem of safety was not solved at all. And along came a designer, Hans Mortermann, Monderman, who had a very different way of approaching the problem. And he was kind of inspired by the fact that people um, in skating rinks, in a really crowded skating rink, seemed to be able to naturally look out for each other. I mean, there's always a couple of people mm -hmm. who ruin that, but, but fundamentally people, you know, that it's really crowded and they don't knock each other over too much. There's an instinct almost that's operative. You can see it in the in wildlife and mm -hmm. in a flock of birds or a school of fish in the way that beautiful choreography of how they sort of move in, in together um, in, in groups. And um, it was sort of on that basis that he thought far from, you know, adding all these signs and all these restrictions, remove everything and open it up as much as possible. And the solution he came up with is he designed a roundabout for it. And he put a roundabout in this crowded intersection and immediately the car crashes went to zero, pedestrians were perfectly safe, no bicyclists were getting injured. And so you begin to think, well, what happened there? Really, what happened? And in a make-to-know vocabulary, I think something really important happened. First of all, people talked about, interestingly, and this is just a fun metaphor, as they approached the roundabout, they were a little uncertain. And so that triggered a kind of, you know, way of saying, okay, well, I've, I've got to participate in making this, I have to slow down and make sure that I am a participant in the safety and when they slowed down and they saw other cars and they yielded or there was a natural kind of tendency to uh, you know again that whatever that instinct is to choreograph and to move into and, and it also brought out the best parts of themselves and then you extend the metaphor and you think they were makers in their own safety mm. like they participated in making that a safe um, intersection as opposed to those who said, who brought an authoritarian kind of um, solution to it of signs and restrictions and do it this way, which is much more akin to, I have a vision of how it would be now follow me and let me do it, right? So you extend this now to leadership and it becomes a really interesting thing. And think about ourselves as a leaders of you, of, of, of your institution, me of mine, of what it is not so much to say, follow the leader. I know the solution here. If you will, only I can fix it, right? <laughs> but instead to, to build roundabouts, to build structure that brings the best out in our communities, that allows them to engage, that allows them to be makers in the realization of what great art and design education can be all about in our, in, in our case. And so leadership, a make to know leadership is about just that, right? building a structure, a scaffolding, if you will, and opening up possibility for people to be free and alive and creative and makers of their own worlds and their own vision, their own education, their, their lives, the institutions that we create. You know, it, it, there are so many, I, I think, I, I, I don't know, you, you interviewed nearly or over 50 people. I can't remember a lot of people. How, how did you choose them? Because they weren't all artists. And the example that you just gave, you know, that, that's an example of well, it is design, but, but how did you choose them? Yeah, well, um, the, the, I, actually, in the, I actually interviewed, I think, you know, 
close to 200 people and and not I wasn't you know I learned from everyone but I couldn't talk about that many people in the book everybody would have gotten gotten lost so um so I really tried to find the stories that were most alive and and um and and relevant or or clear about the make to know process um I how did I choose them it was I wanted a range I didn't want this just to be about painters or visual artists I didn't want this just to be about novelists. I didn't want this just to be about performance, but there was a way of the huge, the, the wide range of artists that I talked to allowed for a kind of cross comparison and fertilization that I thought was really interesting too, right? That the clown with the red nose is doing something that's not so much unlike the, 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 you know, the charcoal on the paper or the, or the, or the novelist trying to write the, write the, write the book, right? And that, that there was, a, so I was very deliberate in making sure that I tried to learn as much as I could from each practice and each discipline and to understand the ways in which, you know, make to know would manifest. And so in a certain way, those four areas that you talked about earlier, entering uncertainty, um, engaging materials, solving problems and improvisation, those four things, they're actually, they, they, they weave their way through all disciplines in different kinds of ways, even though from some like design, I learned about solving problems in a particular kind of way. But then you take that knowledge and you start talking to a novelist or you take a, you take a, um, a novelist and you, you know, explore what, how, how we might think about improvisation and that you get a really interesting cross or a very interesting way to compare the, how the various disciplines, various disciplines operate and, and so much of what they share. I, I found myself, you know, researching artists who, and I've mentioned some of the quotes who just, their work was so very interesting, their approach, um, the, the, the experiences and discoveries they've made. I found myself really searching for some of them. So I, 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 I want to get your thoughts on, you don't really go into this so much in the book, but you touch on it. So I want to get your thoughts about education, you know, and what, what we're doing and what you hope we do, because you'll be retiring soon. So what you hope will really begin to happen in education that really supports and prepares these young people to take on the challenges of today. Well, I think, first of all, um, I think education um, if you think about what a make-to-know education is, and there are manifestations of it, certainly, um, in uh, constructivist education, in, in something like Montessori education. I mean, there are ways in which we can think about it on the K-12 level anyway, um, that are clear, that clearly embody principles and values of make-to-know. But I, I would also say if, um, that, you know, places like Art Center College of Design and Idlewild Arts have something really important to teach about what it means to um, take a more applied, um, engaged making process in the way in which children learn, people learn. That part of our goals as educators can be really trying to help them learn how they are makers in whatever way that might be true. And I'd like to say that, and, I, and this might be true for you as well, that at Art Center, um, students, students are ready for graduation, not so much in terms of how they've become visionaries, but how they have become makers. Mm -hmm. right? And if they're makers, can they take that and, as you were suggesting earlier, apply it to all kinds of things in their work life? Even if they're not doing exactly what they studied at school, can they take 
if can they have the the what what making brings can they have the courage to reach into uncertainty do they have a way of understanding that there is a creative part of everything they do so that's one way in which i think we can be guided and and um uh things like um uh, design-based learning, which I talk about, Doreen Nelson's program, which uses a design methodology to really begin to educate students. Uh, students make things, they make cities in order to understand what the Scarlet Letter is all about, what mm -hmm. Hawthorne's doing in that novel, right? Or or uh, I talk about uh, art, different kinds of arts-based curriculum, curricula, not like what you're doing in, in a more conservatory approach, but, you know, in, in a... Uh, uh, regular uh, in, uh, educational environment uh, um, and to understand how the arts begin to integrate things and how you can really do creative things with students becoming makers as they learn, whether that's in math and science or if it's in, in, in creative writing. So that's one stream of it. The other thing I would say too is how we as educators build curricula. And one of the things that I've struggled with at Art Center is that um, we want our students to, um, and it comes from a very good place, have many skills and be prepared in many ways. We first of all want them to be great artists. We want them to have that great skill. We want them to understand technology. We want them to understand the, the cutting edge of what's going on in their, in their particular field. We want them to be able to understand the history of their discipline and the community that they're part of as they carry things forward. We want them to have a business sense and we want them to have a uh, sense of the humanities. We want them to be rigorous in their scientific thinking. Anyway, you get the point. We go on and on and on of yes. all these. We want them to engage in and, and be sensitive to what it means to engage in a diverse population and, and, and all the beauty that comes from that. So you, you, you go on and on. And, and what we tend to do, I believe, as educators, at least at Art Center, what we've done is we build requirements. And after a while, I think requirements are the most uncreative way to educate people. I'm not saying we need to, I mean, there's a certain kind of, there's certain fundamentals that, that you need to have and for a very important reason. But after a while, you, I think we need to stop thinking about requirements and then go to improvisation and borrow the language there. We need to begin to think of frames and we build frames mm -hmm. for our students. And that gives them context, that gives them structure, that gives them a roundabout. But in that they move, in that they become, part, they participate in their own learning. They become makers of their own learning. We need to believe, we need to believe that what they discover today or a seed we might plant today may not come to fruition until 10 years later. That certainly happened to me personally, and that's okay. And even though it comes from a very good place that we want our students to have this, when, when we push that too much, then we're just checking boxes and we've lost the power, the, 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 of, we've, we've imposed too much, we've suffocated a process and we haven't allowed that spontaneity, that discovery to happen in those uncertain places. Why? Again, because we have a vision of what we want our students to be like. And again, when you're trying to always manifest vision, I think you, you, you tend to move away from what an open, more freeing, more, more uh, context for discovery might look like. 
I hope every educator <laughs> and every legislator uh, hears that hears that answer. That's beautiful. So you are um, retiring soon. Uh, do you know what's next on the horizon, or or better yet, how this book might lead to that next chapter? Well, um, I do feel like um, you know, retiring is. I'm retiring more from a, a job of this scope and size. I'm certainly not retiring from work. I have lots of energy to work a lot more. Um, I am uh, um, looking to. I uh, feel like, as if I'm going into a very new creative phase of my life. I have another uh, book that I, I'd like to write um, and some ideas around that, um, though they are, you'll appreciate this, uncertain at this point. Um, and uh, I am very keen to make, um, to explore making a documentary based on Make to Know, mm. which wouldn't be the same articulation of the same stories that I tell necessarily, but establish, as we have in this conversation, what make to know is what artists and designers teach us and then really begin to explore its significance in uh in education as we just talked about in concepts of leadership in spiritual life i mean there's a whole i have such a fascination with that um and to really understand uh, in business you know the entrepreneurs that i interviewed for make to know too were i mean it was you know the, the incredibly successful businesses right? lynda.com itself interviewing linda weinman and she, you know 20 years of building that business and uh selling it for 1.6 billion dollars to linkedin learning and what did she say it was make to know all <laughs> yeah. the way right i mean i had an idea an earth something i wanted to do but i discovered it as i made it and so how, it's relevance to business and how how that occurs so um that's a that's a project i want to do and and you know i have um the play i've been directing all these years is as a president of an art and design <laughs> college um, but i haven't really been directing the plays in the theater as much and i feel a calling to go back to that and to do more work there as well that sounds wonderful i can see that joy when you say that i can hear it and see it um, well, I, as I said, I think the book is, it, it's important, um, it, relevant, and I encourage everyone to get it. How can they, how can they purchase the book? I guess besides Amazon.com. A lot of traffic to Amazon.com, yes. I mean, I would say, you know, you, I mean, they can certainly go to the Thames and Hudson uh, website and purchase it there, or they can uh, just order it through their local bookstore. And uh, I mean, if they're in Pasadena or in this area, I know that there are a lot of bookstores here that are carrying the book. <laughs> a lot of stores, there's not that many left. Romans is certainly, <laughs> and the Art Center store is, I believe. And uh, so, you, you know, there are bookstores, but any bookstore can order it for you and, and, and get it. It's wonderful. The book is Make to Know, From Spaces of Uncertainty to Creative Discovery. Dr. Lauren Buckman, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Pamela. It's been a, been a delight. This is a broadcast of my conversation with Dr. Lauren Buckman, who is now President Emeritus of Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. I spoke with Lauren on March 23rd, 2022. You've been listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, presented by Idlewild Arts Foundation. We at Idlewild Arts have always believed that art is the greatest teacher of humanity. 
we continue to believe that the practice of creativity hones a person's desire and ability to affect global change. My name is Pamela Jordan. To learn more about the Academy and its world-renowned summer program, please visit idlewildarts.org. To subscribe to the One World, One Idlewild podcast, please visit idlewildarts.org slash the series. Please consider supporting the students of Idlewild Arts by visiting idlewildarts.org slash giving to make a gift today. Thank you for listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, a creation and production of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Executive producer, Pamela Jordan, directed and produced by Rose Colella. Edited, engineered, and mastered by Justin Holmes. Graphic design by Mark Biley. Marketing and publicity by Dana Albright, Molly Maple, and Alice Metcalf. Marketing assistance by Rose Colella. Production and research assistance by Keith Miller. Creative consultation by Palencia Turner. Technical support, John Lawrence, Michael Quick, and Tom Wadbrook. Our theme song is Beaconing, composed and performed by the incomparable Marshall Hawkins. Pamela Jordan was appointed president of Idlewild Arts Foundation in 2014. Prior to this position, she held the distinction of being the first female and first African-American head of school of the Chicago Academy for the Arts, a position she held for 12 years. She currently serves on the boards of the California Association of Independent Schools, the Association of Boarding Schools, and Art Schools Network. Pamela is also a member of the Global Education Advisory Council for Shanghai Hauer Collegiate School, Kushan. One World, One Idlewild, the series is a production of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Any use of materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication without the prior written consent of Idlewild Arts Foundation is strictly prohibited.